Let's bow again together. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the privilege we have to sing your praises together. And thank you for the time we have to be in your word. I pray that you would enable me to share it exactly as you desire uh, and that we would respond as you also uh, desire so that you would be greatly pleased as we trust you and allow your word to work in us. Lord, bless your word as it goes out. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've stepped into the doors of a typical church these days, you will recognize that uh, the evangelical church, by and large, has lost its way. By and large, it's lost its way. It's lost sight of what biblical ministry is. The atmosphere is almost like the theme of the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And indeed, I was taught in seminary that there are many different types of churches uh, and that there are uh, evangelistic churches, there are worshiping churches, there are liturgical churches, there are ministering churches, there are teaching churches. And that's true, but yet what they said was they're all good, they just fill a different need. But is that the truth? Is that what God says in his word concerning how we are to minister? How is the church to function? As we begin you know, functioning here in South Carolina, how are we to function? How is this church to function? Well, I praise the Lord that he has not left us in the dark, that we don't need to decide how we're going to function, but God has given us clear instructions from his word And that word, his word, shows us what authentic, true ministry looks like. So would you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to finish the chapter today, Lord willing. We're going to be looking at verses 28 to 39. 28 to 29. (laughs) We'll finish it out. There is no 39 there. uh, And we're going to see uh, what authentic ministry looks like. Now, we know that the Apostle Paul has never visited the Colossians. It's about 62 A.D., and he is under house arrest in Rome. And he has heard from Epaphras uh, that the Colossians were trusting in the Lord. They had faith in the Lord, and they had love for one another. And Paul praised God for that. But he also was made aware, evidently, of the threats to their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And within that, uh, we see that there were bad guys, uh, simply put, trying to delude the Colossians with persuasive arguments. They're spiritual type arguments, but persuasive arguments. Chapter 2, verse 4. And they were aimed at uh, what we all struggle with, uh, how to deal with our flesh. We we don't want to let our flesh control us. We don't want to live that way anymore as believers. And yet the bad guys came along and what Paul would write in the end of chapter 2, these are of matters which, to be sure, have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You can't make a list to stop sinning. You can't have help from angels or visions to stop sinning. We're going to see who we need is Christ. Who we need is Christ. And that's Paul's solution, is to, put, is to focus these Colossians back on the person of Jesus Christ, a focus on him, a truly Christ-centered relationship. And indeed, he begins with praising uh, and thanking God for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for one another, how they responded to the gospel. And he is praying for them that they would be uh, really immersed in, and, and uh, completely filled by the knowledge of the Lord's will that they would produce that, uh, that character, that Christ-like character, walking in a, in a manner worthy. And within that, he begins to, to give us an accurate picture of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Uh, chapter 1, he is the Redeemer. Uh, in him we have the forgiveness of sins. Uh, he makes it clear that he's the Supreme Lord also of the first creation. By him and through him all things were created, and he holds all things together. And he is also supreme lord of the new creation. He is the head of the body of Christ. He is preeminent. He is fully God and fully man, and he died to reconcile us in order to present us holy and blameless before him 
uh, beyond reproach. And then he, uh, after revealing this focus on Christ, this totally sufficient Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, he begins to lay forth what we're looking at today in the final portion here. He begins to lay forth his credentials in light of the false teachers in which he will address in chapter 2. He points out, really from verse 24 on, what authentic ministry looks like. And we're coming to the, the pinnacle of that uh, reality today. We saw so wonderfully before that uh, Paul was to proclaim the word fully, the word fully, and, 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 and the mystery that has been now revealed, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Tremendous reality. You've got Jesus in you. You don't need that other stuff. You've got Jesus in you. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when we get discouraged about this life and our little failures along the way, we're on our way to glory. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so we come to our passage today in which we see uh, exactly what the Apostle Paul does summarized uh, what ministry, the message of ministry, the method of ministry, the goal of ministry, and the means in which it's brought about. He says here, let's take a look at our passage, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose... Also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Again, we're going to see what true biblical ministry is. We're going to see what authentic ministry in the church should be. We're going to see what we should be doing as a church. Notice, first of all, uh, we see that biblical ministry proclaims Christ through the word admonishing and teaching everyone that we'd be presented complete. Again, verse 28. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now, this appears to be a very simple statement, but it has so much wonderful truth in it. So much wonderful truth in it. And as we begin, it's important to understand that some versions have an and there, and they're trying to show the connection between uh, this passage and what was before, because there is a connection. There's definitely a connection. But literally, our passage, you could translate this way, whom we proclaim, or we proclaim him, him we preach, whom we preach. That's how it starts, whom we preach. And so obviously it's connected. Now you know why the translators have, for translating purposes, added an and in there in some, some of these versions. So then, first of all, we're going to see who this refers to because this is the message of ministry. The message of ministry. And we're going to see the message of true ministry is Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. Now remember, verse 28 does not stand by itself. It comes on the heels of what Paul has just said. So let's read up to it, actually. Look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking of Christ's afflictions. As Paul suffered, he was receiving what Christ would have received if he was there doing what Paul was doing. He was receiving the afflictions meant for Christ, right? Filling up on those. He says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that's for the believer's benefit, for Colossians, that I might, what, fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. He had a stewardship to preach the word fully. Preach the word fully. Boy, this is what seminaries should be doing. They should be teaching the word so that people know what their responsibility is rather than teaching them slick ways to find sermon illustrations uh, forget that. Uh, the Word of God explains it. He says, That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifest to his saints, manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you weren't there for the last message in Colossians, go get it and listen to it, because you will be greatly encouraged. Uh, when we talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm not going to review all that, but you know it, right? You know it. You've heard it. 
you, you, we praise God for it. And then notice he says, and we proclaim him. There you go. You see, the him here is Christ. The him here is Christ. That's who it is. Or whom we proclaim. And it's emphatic, by the way. It's whom we proclaim. Emphatic in the Greek. Christ is the content of true ministry. Indeed, Christ is central around everything that was brought forth by the Spirit of God in the Word of God. Christ is the central focus of the Scriptures. Indeed, in Luke chapter 24, uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus uh, with these dejected disciples. He's risen from the dead. It's the third day, and he's walking with them, uh, hiding his identity from them. And they're all dejected, and they're walking away. And Jesus said to them, chapter, and he said to them, Luke 24, 25, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. He didn't say a few of them, with all the prophets. Wow, this was quite a walk. No wonder their hearts were burning within them, right? All the prophets. He says here, he uh, explained the things to them concerning himself in all the scriptures. You see, yes, there's an and there, and and doesn't point to Jesus, but the and in its context, in the context of the word of God brought forth rightly, ultimately points to the Lord Jesus Christ. The uh, Pharisees were quite good, and the scribes were quite good in the scriptures. They kind of knew it, and they worked around it, and they had all the little angles of the scriptures, and, and Jesus reproved them. He says in John 5, 37, and the Father sent me, he has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. And you do not have his word abiding you, for you do not believe in him who sent, whom he sent. This is John 5.39. You search the scriptures, that's the bad guys, you search them, Jesus pointing at them, because you think in them you have eternal life. They think it is the word itself that brings life. No, but the word points to Jesus, who is the eternal life. And he says, and he says, you think you have eternal life? And it is these that bear witness of me. And that's a warning. You can be in the word. You can search the word. You can be focusing on it because you think, hey, if I'm in the word, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to have life. But the scriptures point to Jesus Christ. Christ is the focus of all true ministry. Remember, these, uh, th- these Colossians back in chapter 1, they had faith in Christ Jesus, chapter 1, verse 4. Now, the term Christ uh, is a title, in a sense. It is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word that uh, uh, speaks of Messiah or anointed one, or anointed one. You see, when kings and priests and prophets began their ministry, they were anointed with oil, symbolizing God's approval and authority over such ministry. And the term eventually came to speak of David, the king also, the anointed one in a sense. But more importantly, this came to speak of a king who would be established on the throne forever, the anointed one, 2 Samuel 7.16. And God had made a promise to David, a covenant with David, that his throne and kingdom would be established forever, that someone in the line of David would reign forever. And the scripture reveals that Jesus is the Christ. He is this person. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Luke 1.30, this is the angel speaking to Mary. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. We see here very clearly that Jesus is the Christ. 
So the Christ is the Messiah King in the line of David who would reign forever, prophesied in Scripture. But not only that, we see the Old Testament, as we saw earlier, clearly prophesied that the Messiah would have to suffer for our sins first before he was glorified. I just read that in the chat. Luke, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter to his glory, Jesus said, Luke 24? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that pointed to the suffering, what Christ had to do, suffer for our sins. We know that. Peter, after healing the lame man in the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 3, says, And now, brethren, I know you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, has thus has ha, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return that your sins may be wiped away. Throughout the Old Testament, we have the illusions and the prophecies pointing that Christ would need to suffer for us. All the sacrificial system points to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Paul before Agrippa in Acts 26 says in verse 22, And so, having obtained help from God, I stand this day testifying, both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be first to proclaim light to both the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. The Gentiles. And so, we have this tremendous reality. And even in First Peter, uh, you can turn to First Peter. First Peter chapter one. We have uh, the prophets. They were seeking to understand when the spirit of Christ. Very interesting. Within them, that's Old Testament prophets, by the way. Within them, right? A little help in our understanding of the Holy Spirit, even before the church, right? First Peter chapter one, verse ten. As to this salvation, this is this great salvation we have. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Wow. You see, the Old Testament points to the sufferings and the glories to come that the Christ would suffer and then be glorified. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and that's us, by the way, in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. They look into it. They peer in with with, with amazement. So very clearly, the anointed king would reign forever. He's also the one who would come and die for our sins. Paul would speak of the gospel in 1 Corinthians. He says, I make known to you the gospel. He talks about that Christ died for our sins. That he rose from the dead. That Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, would suffer and die for us. He would bear our sins in his body on the cross. Tremendous reality. He would die for us. And whether you understand the term Christ or not, uh, understand the Son of God took on human flesh and died for our sins and rose from the dead. And he is the anointed one, the King of the Jews. He is both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. And you might remember his human name, Jesus. Matthew one twenty one. You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Lord is salvation. So these Colossians had faith in Christ Jesus and Paul has proclaimed and laid forth this amazing truth concerning Christ that he is the content of what he proclaims. And indeed, he sure did proclaim it, didn't he? Back in chapter 1, verse 15, and he is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1:15, Verse 1 of all creation, for by him and through him all things are created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He is before, and he is before all things, and all things in him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's <coughs> good pleasure for all 
the fullness of deity to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to to, to, through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. We proclaim Christ, and he sure did, didn't he? He proclaims Christ. He proclaims Christ. The message that Paul preached was Christ. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter what element of ministry it is, whether it's the beginning of ministry evangelism, it's about Christ. Whether it's discipleship of those who have been saved, it is all about Christ. It is all about Christ. We know that he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. It's Christ. And we also know... As Paul would say in chapter 2, verse 6, As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We responded by faith to the truth concerning Christ proclaimed through the gospel, and we continue to walk by faith, uh, believing the truth concerning Christ from the word, trusting in him. Trusting in him. So then, get the message, literally. The message of true ministry is Christ. Back to our passage. And we (coughs) proclaim him. We proclaim him. Excuse me. Or literally, whom we proclaim. Whom we proclaim. Now, sadly, so many churches are about the things of Christ or the church or doctrine, yet they do not focus on Christ. And so, too, our walk can be all about the things around Christ rather than Christ himself. And we need to be careful because the message of true ministry is Christ. And we proclaim him. Is your focus on Christ? Have you fixed your eyes on Jesus? Are you trusting in him? Are you listening to him, obeying his word? And we proclaim him. Now the term proclaim, kata angelo, means to give an official notice. (coughs) To make an open declaration. To make an utterly open public declaration. To declare. That's what proclaim means. And the tense of this verb in Greek is in a present tense, which means it's continual, habitual proclamation. Indeed, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 would say, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. That's who we preach. So we preach. He is our continual proclamation, our official announcement. He is what we are to make known openly and publicly and are to declare. Oh, how our evangelism would change if we would just proclaim Christ. Christ Jesus died for your sins. The the King of kings and Lord of lords took on human flesh. He suffered and died and rose from the dead. And you can have salvation by calling upon the name of the Lord. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. Indeed, as we study Colossians, we're also going to see we need to focus on Christ in our sanctification. Because the bad guys are going to come around with persuasive arguments. They're going to minister according to the elementary principles of the world. Philosophy, rules, regulations, angels, in contrast to proclaiming Christ. Paul didn't spend time entertaining with stories. He didn't spend his time illustrating. He continually proclaimed Christ. He didn't have a drama or dance team around him acting out the gospel. He proclaimed Christ. It's all about the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of people speaking and ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. And his name is interjected throughout tons of ministries. Yet when Paul says we proclaim him, what does he mean by that? What is the context of that proclamation. 
Notice uh, what we see in verse 28. It's extremely important we understand this. And we proclaim him, and then we have two participles, I-N-G words. The proclamation is, is, the, is the verb. Then we have these participles that connect to the verb. We proclaim admonishing and teaching. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. So our main phrase is to proclaim him, and then the admonishing and teaching are the modifying phrases with the last phrase modifying it all, with all wisdom. So Paul's saying we continually habitually proclaim Christ, and that proclamation takes place in the context of admonishing and teaching with all wisdom. So some people proclaim Christ, but they never teach the word. They never admonish. They don't proclaim him the way he has ordained he is to be proclaimed. They just say his name. And then they do their own thing. But here, Paul says how we are to do it. Now, we'll get to the admonishing and teaching in a moment, but I want to show you this sphere in which this proclamation is made. With all wisdom. Or literally, in all wisdom. En passe sophia. Uh, speaks of it, uh, and it's of, of uh, as we'll see, the sphere of wisdom, in all wisdom. And it's been used three times already in Colossians. Well, once before and once after. In chapter 1, verse 9, to speak of all spiritual wisdom, same phrase. In chapter 3, verse 16, modifying, uh, let the word of Christ dwell within you with all wisdom. And then in our passage... Now, we know from the Word of God there are only two types of wisdom. There is the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. Look at James chapter 3. The wisdom from above has those characteristics of the Lord. The wisdom from below is earthly, natural, and demonic. We have the world's wisdom and we have God's wisdom. And certainly in this context, all spiritual wisdom is God's wisdom. And it comes in the sphere of the Spirit. And we'll see that's in which the sphere, the Word of God comes. The Spirit-inspired Word. And indeed, where do we find God's wisdom? Where do we find it? Uh, we have to start with a relationship with Him, first of all. Uh, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're never going to find God's wisdom unless you come into a relationship with Him. And then if you have a relationship to him, you can now choose to make your ears attentive to his wisdom. We know in Proverbs chapter 2, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom comes from the Lord. It is his word. It is his word. Turn to Colossians, Colossians turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, the Apostle Paul is, is dealing with the Corinthian church, which has got a wisdom problem. Uh, they were all into wisdom before they got saved, and then they got all sidetracked on exalting people. I'm of this and I'm of that, rather than uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, because those who are serving are nothing, but it's the Lord that causes the growth. And so he's got to say to them, hey, I'm nothing, and when I came to you, I'm nothing, but God did something. And he did it through his wisdom in his word. This should be uh, Seminary 101 for preaching. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.1 And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superior speech or wisdom, of wisdom proclaiming you the testimony of God. Hey, I didn't come with superior speech. I was not a, a superior talker. You know, when anyone comes to me, and I've had this happen before, and they talk about preaching, say, I really want to preach. I'm a very good speaker. I go, ooh. <laughs> well, that, God's going to have to deal with that part, right? Because if it's you, you're in trouble. The Lord takes the weak things, and he glorifies himself through those. can't mean he can't use that, but it's got to be completely submitted to him, and all him, not you. And so he says here, I did not come with superior speech or wisdom proclaiming you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all about Jesus, right? And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And he says here, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, that would be man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, 
that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men. A lot of churches, people's faith rests on the wisdom of men. They've got to go get filled every week with that because it leaks out so quick because it's worthless. He says here, uh, with the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom. He's going to say, hey, it's not man's wisdom. It's a different type of wisdom. We speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak what? God's wisdom. That's what he speaks. In a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things now... People say this, they go, this is what we're going to see in heaven. Well, actually he's going to say, hey, you get to have it now. Listen to this. Things which I had not seen, ear had not heard. This is from God. You couldn't see it, you couldn't hear it. All right, it's from God. And have not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him, right? For to us, God revealed them. This is his wisdom, which no one could think it up, hear it, or understand it. They've never heard it or seen it. God prepared it, and he revealed it to us. For to us, he revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For whom is known the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows. You say, I know what God's thinking. Oh, you really do? No, you don't. (laughs) Uh, He says here, no one knows but the Spirit, except the Spirit of God. And then verse 12, uh, now we have received... Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God. So the spirit of God that knows the thoughts of God reveals the truth of God to us. It says here, the spirit is from God that we might what? We might know the things freely given to us by God. We have his spirit that we would know his word. Okay. Which things he says we also speak. Remember he said we speak God's wisdom earlier. He says here, not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by those, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. But a natural man, that's a non-believer, doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the truth of God that was hidden and revealed. We have his thoughts, his word brought forth that he wants us to know. You see, we have the spirit of God within us and the mind of Christ revealed in the word and God has revealed it to us. And guess what? Colossians 2.3 states that in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is in Christ It is in Christ. So then, what's the point? It is through the word of God that we receive spiritual wisdom. In all spiritual... We proclaim him in the sphere of all spiritual wisdom. That's God's word. We don't proclaim a Jesus from our emotions and our experience. We proclaim a Jesus from the word of God. From the word of God. So we have this incredible reality that we proclaim him from the living word, the written word in all spiritual wisdom. So many, sadly, so many churches proclaim Jesus, yet they don't fully proclaim him from the word. They mix in God's, uh, they mix God's wisdom with man's wisdom. Yet Paul proclaimed him with or in the sphere of all wisdom. That's God's wisdom from the word. Indeed, we see Paul proclaimed Christ from the scriptures. Acts 17.2, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them from the Sabbath. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. It was from the Scriptures. We know Jesus explained the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. The term Scripture means written word, written word. We are to preach the word. I read this earlier. We're to preach the word. Paul tells Timothy in his final letter before he's going to go to the Lord. He says, I saw me charge you in the presence of God 
and of Christ Jesus, who is the ju- who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Boy, that's pretty serious. Pretty serious. Preach the word. And he just shared earlier to him that all scripture is inspired by God, that you know the sacred writings, you know who you receive them from, which are able to give you the knowledge of salvation, or knowledge that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. We're to preach the word. How arrogant for anyone to do anything else. How arrogant and evil for pastors to share Christ from anything other than the word of God. We proclaim him in all wisdom, the sphere of all wisdom. Paul said earlier in the end of uh, verse 25 in chapter 1, that I might fully carrying out the preaching of what? The word of God. The preaching of the word of God. You see, true ministry is the message is Christ from the word of God whom we proclaim in the sphere of all spiritual wisdom. Have you bought into the latest message churches propagating these days? So many people speak of Jesus and yet do not proclaim him faithfully from their word. Throughout the church we have a human message of man with man's felt needs with an unloving or with a loving unjudgmental Jesus to fill those needs that has replaced the true unadulterated message of Christ revealed in the word of God. How ironic so many churches speak of Jesus so much and yet do not faithfully proclaim him through his word. What a satanic twist. God's word traded out for the wisdom from below with Jesus' name attached. The Lord Jesus would uh, say this about those who were seen as prophets, but they were false prophets. He would say it through his word, through his prophet, Jeremiah, the Lord would share it. Jeremiah 23, 21, he says, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have announced my words to my people. These pastors, if they are God's pastors, they're going to announce God's word to God's people, not their word to uh, the devil's people. And they would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. The message of true ministry is revealed from the word of God and is concerning Christ. Now, I mentioned when I started about all those different types of churches, Worshipping churches, evangelistic churches, uh, community churches, liturgical churches, outreach churches, teaching churches. I was taught not to be judgmental about that, okay? But is it biblical? Well, the reality is God's word reveals the method and the right type of church. First of all, we've seen the message, which is Christ. Now notice the method back in our passage. And we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present may present every man complete in Christ. That's the method of ministry. That's the method of ministry. And it's pretty darn simple. It's pretty darn simple. Not to do it. It's, it's much work, the Lord, to do it through us. But the, 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 what it says here is pretty plain, pretty clear. Now, did you notice something when I read that verse, something repeated three times? Every man, every man. It's not a teaching church for a few that like that, and then a worshiping church for a few that like that. This is for every person, every man, the entire church of the redeemed, for everyone. And we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man completing Christ. That's why we don't want to divide the church up to the contemporary and the regular services to have the stuff that makes the young guys happy and the old people happy, whatever it might be. It needs every person needs to hear the word of God, the word of God. These principles apply to every man. And as we begin this ministry here, we need to know what we are to do. We don't know how we are to do it together, how we are to support the ministry, differing gifts functioning together as the body under the head, Jesus Christ, to bring about what his desire and will is as revealed in his word. So then this is how the church is to function. 
This is what we are to be doing or have done. We should either be proclaiming Christ through his word, admonishing teaching, as we'll see, or we should be having Christ proclaimed to us, being admonished and taught. Okay? Either one of those. That's what it should be. Now, regardless of how nice the pastor is and how much they feed the poor and evangelize lost, I always hear this, he's such a nice man. He's such a nice man. He loves the Lord so much. I listen to the sermon, I go, he doesn't love the Lord at all. He doesn't love him because he doesn't obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Pastors that do not primarily proclaim Christ through his word completely to all are not the Lord's pastors. Those who substitute worship, outreach, evangelism, those secondary realities, they're part of it, but the secondary, substitute that for the faithful preaching of the word and make it primary. These churches are not functioning in accordance with the scripture. They are being disobedient and being led by those in disobedience. So then, sadly, we see this throughout these days. Uh, Now, we can have churches that are on the other side that proclaim a lot of the word, but they don't proclaim Christ. Uh, There's some reform side churches, even some MacArthur-type churches. Not all, but some that proclaim the word, but Christ isn't proclaimed. Christ isn't the focus. You see, because if it's divided rightly, it's going to point to Jesus Christ. It's going to point to Christ. Remember what Jesus said? He said it in... um, John uh, 5.39, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But these are those that bear witness of me. They bear witness of Jesus Christ. So back to our passage, Paul says, And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. The proclamation of Christ is not secondary, it is primary. And it is for everyone, not just a few. Now, there's nothing new under the sun, nothing has changed. So-called church continues to do what is right in its own eyes. Later on, we're going to see in chapter 2, Paul contrasting the proclamation of Christ with those who function according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. So that quote-unquote, Colossians 2.8. Instead of according to Christ, they do it according to the world's ways. What a shame. And you don't want to be taken as a kidnapped victim. You don't want to be kidnapped. Uh, the word, we'll see it in chapter 2, being kidnapped, spiritually kidnapped by these people. They come in and kidnap you, first of all, through your own desires because you want your ears tickled. But you get kidnapped spiritually rather than according to Christ. Uh, being a church that preaches him. If you're at a church that doesn't proclaim Christ from his word, uh, admonishing and teaching, as we will see, uh, if your church doesn't do this, you're in a bad church, in a church that is disobedient. Disobedient. We have false teachers and or disobedient at, at pastors at best who have missed the focus of true ministry and substituted their own or the world's wisdom. Well, he said, Christ is to be proclaimed admonishing and teaching every man. And by the way, this is the role of godly pastors. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This is the role. Proclaiming him, and it's for every man. You say, what about the women? It's mankind, right? (laughs) Men and women. Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for what? The equipping of some of the saints. No, the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of part of the body of Christ. No, the building of the body of Christ until we, what? All attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It's about Jesus, isn't it? to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We proclaim him. We proclaim him. And notice, there's a method to it. There's a method to this uh, uh, proclamation. Remember those two ING words I spoke to you earlier of? We proclaim him admonishing and teaching. Notice the first of all, we proclaim him in the context admonishing with all wisdom. It's God's word. That's what's being used. That's... Now, this term admonishment is in the present tense, speaks of a continual habitual action. It comes from the Greek word nutheteo, 
Nus means to uh, mind, theteo means to put, means to put into the mind. Now, nous and mind, uh, nous, nous and tithemi, actually, to put there, it speaks of giving instructions concerning belief or behavior. It, care for, it carries the idea sometimes of warning, admonishing, instructing, and some say in a kindly manner. It's kind of interesting because we think of admonishment like, you better do that, right? <laughs> we think of this, this forceful word, right? Well, I don't think it's that forceful. I think the, the, the reality is it's, it's a warning. It's a warning. We see the Lord admonishing very graciously many times. We're going to say it. Let me share what I mean by that. Uh, we have this. Uh, notice, in, actually, go to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. This is an interesting one. This is not the Lord admonishing us. This is not in the church. This is just in a general sense. But the word is being used of what Paul says to the people who are sailing along to their destruction. <laughs> He's going to say, look, at, something's got to change here, folks. Acts 27, verse 9. And when a considerable time had passed, and the voyage is now dangerous, this is a ship voyage, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. Look at this. Now look at how he admonishes them. And he said to the men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. It's a warning. Very gracious warning. It's admonishment. Men, this is we're gonna we're gonna this ship's gonna crash up. People are gonna lose their lives. Paul admonished them, okay? We know that we are to admonish our children. First Samuel chapter three, we know that uh, Eli did not admonish his kids. He didn't say, Look at guys, stop what you're doing, it's evil. He didn't do that. Uh, let's turn to first Samuel chapter three. Now the term translated rebuke here is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this same word, nuthateo, okay? Nuthateo. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, chapter 1 Samuel 3, 11, thing in Israel which both the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli and that all, Eli, all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I'm about to do judge his house forever for the iniquity which what he knew. This is iniquity. They're pretty bad kids. They were doing some real evil in the name of the Lord, in a sense, or in, as, as his representatives, but they were doing evil. Evil stuff. Because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not, Greek translation of the Old Testament, admonish them. He didn't warn them, stop what you're doing, or God's judgment is coming. You gotta stop, or it's coming. You gotta stop, kids. What you're doing is very evil. He didn't do it. He didn't admonish them. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli, the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Luther Taylor speaks of addressing something that needs correcting at times. It's appeal to the uh, to the to the will based on understanding and biblical instruction. We have uh, pastors who are to be. Uh, instructing or admonishing. The term is actually used and translated instructing sometimes. You know, if you're saying, hey, okay, stay close here. Don't go too close to the edge because you'll fall over the side and, and go down 300 feet and die. That you're instructing them, but you're admonishing them, right? You're saying, hey, watch out, be careful, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and so we see here in First Thessalonians 5.12, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge over use, as First Thess 5.12, over the Lord, in you have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction, or literally admonish you. Appreciate them. Appreciate them highly. Those are much. Now they're going to do it through the Word of God as they preach. And we need to be careful as I preach and admonish you. We don't want to have, you know, 300 little admonishers running around pretending to be preachers. Okay, be careful. The Lord has us in the body admonished in a sense differently as we'll see from the pulpit i'm admonishing every person i'm correcting everyone i'm, I'm instructing in that sense every man okay now uh we see the later on in uh first thess five he says in that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work live at peace with one another and we urge you brethren admonish the unruly now that the body is to go alongside those are out of step they're out of step wow you're going the wrong way 
you know, you're, you're going to bring trouble on yourself if you haven't already. You're going to bring trouble on the people around you. You're, you're hurting yourself. You need to turn back to the Lord. You need to confess that, right? You're out of step. Now, we know that we are able to admonish one another, Romans chapter 15. But there are not many passages about admonishing, about us running around admonishing everybody. And also within that, there is, like we saw with Paul, even in the midst of that deadly situation, he wasn't yelling and screaming at them. He was actually very polite in the way that he shared the danger that was coming upon them. Very gracious. And we see the Lord being very gracious to his disciples and admonishing them also. Very gracious, very gracious. Okay, so first of all, if you don't like to be instructed with a little admonishment on the side, then you don't understand how God changes us and makes us more like his son Jesus. Because that is how we are built up. That is how we are matured. Christ is the head of his church, and he chooses how we do it. We don't decide. He paid for it with his own blood. And so Paul says we proclaim him admonishing every man. And that's what I'm doing as I'm preaching. I'm saying, don't do this, do this. Warning, warning, warning. You do this, you're going this way, that way, this way. Admonishing every man. We're also to reprove, rebuke, and, and exhort with great patience and instruction, right? First Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. So true ministry proclaims him admonishing every man. If you go to a church and you hear the sermons and you don't feel, in a sense, reproved at times or admonished at times, I venture to say either you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin or they're not admonishing you. They're not admonishing you. So notice, admonishing every man, not just a few, but every one. And again, don't take this to go out and be little preachers admonishing everybody. Uh, the Lord allows us to be in certain relationships where love covers a multitude of sins. There are times where we need to admonish the unruly. There's times we need to do so. We encourage the weak and, and help, help and help the faint-hearted, right? Help the weak, encourage the, the, the weak. You know that. So with this in mind, admonish every man. Then notice, he says here, the second one, and teaching every man. So there's the admonishing. It's kind of instruction with kind of a, a warning sense to it. And then here it is teaching. True ministry involves the proclamation of Christ, and it not only involves admonishment, it involves teaching. If there is not teaching of the word focused on proclamation of Christ, it is not biblical ministry. The teaching is not just for those in so-called teaching churches. He says teaching every man, every man. Paul is speaking of biblical instruction. We're back in verse 28, chapter 1 of Colossians. The term teaching is didasco, and it's present tense, continual habitual teaching, every man. Paul is speaking of biblical instruction. Every man is to be taught. We are all to be taught. Remember, Paul exhorted uh, Timothy to give attention to the word and teaching, 1 Timothy 4, 13. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. There you go. Timothy, that's what you should be doing. Reading the Word of God, exhorting and teaching. Do that, Timothy. Do that. That's what you should be doing. We know that elders are to be able to teach. First Timothy chapter 3. And some pastors and teachers work hard at preaching and teaching as elders also. First Timothy 5. And we know that the word of God alone is profitable, First Second Timothy 3.16, for teaching, first thing. For, and some, some um, versions will say doctrine. What doctrine means, so as you hear some churches, doctrine, 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 doctrine. Well, that's fine, as long as you know what doctrine is. Doctrine is that which is taught. That which is taught. It's the same word. It means teaching. It means teaching. Okay? Nothing wrong with the word doctrine. But we need to understand what it means what it means. So it is the word of God that is literally that which is taught. That which is taught. What about the great commission? Matthew 20, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. We know what teaching is. We teach our children. We teach our children. We are naive, and God uses his word to give us wisdom. He teaches us. He helps us. Reproofs our way of life. The word of God helps us. The goal of the church is not simply evangelism. 
but to be taught to obey all that the Lord has commanded us in the context of a real relationship with Jesus whom we proclaim. You see, you can be taught all the stuff to obey, and Jesus could be left way out of that. We proclaim him. Apart from him, you can do nothing. You trust in him with all your heart. Don't lean your understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Don't let his word lead you. Don't let kindness and truth leave you. Don't forget his word. You see, in the early church, the priority were, and God has appointed, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, now the foundations laid, third, teachers. So the most important there, because that's what we're doing. And all the gifts work together, together, the, under the head, Jesus Christ, to bring about the completeness of the body of Christ. There are differing gifts. We work together, we're together as a body to do the Lord's will. Biblical churches teach the word concerning Christ. Biblical ministries teach the word concerning Christ. And that teaching will bring about obedience. Obedience. So many different methods, so many different churches ministering different ways, which is biblical. From our passage, true ministry centers around proclaiming Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man from his word with all wisdom. True ministry will in some aspect involve or, su- involve or support, Acts chapter 7, the continual admonishment and warning and teaching of every man and the, the teaching instruction uh, by means of the word with the proclamation of Christ. So then, uh, biblical ministry in some way, indirectly or directly, will support the continual admonishing and teaching of the word of God with the proclamation of Christ as the focus. Okay, so we see that. We've seen the message is Christ. The method is through the word being taught, proclaimed, Christ being proclaimed, uh, admonished and taught. And then notice we have the goal. Verse 28, And we proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. There is a goal to what I'm doing here right now. There is a goal to what God has his shepherds doing, what his pastors are doing, what those who are teaching are doing. There is a goal to this, that we may present every man completing Christ. The term that, hina, with the, with the subjunctive is the purpose. The term complete, teleos, speaks of perfect or mature or attaining one's proper end. The goal of true ministry is not happiness. The goal of true ministry is presenting completing Christ, and in that there's joy. In that there's joy. The term present par istimi means to stand before. It spoke of someone standing before a judge. Uh, we saw it earlier in verse 22 that Christ has reconciled us in his fleshly body in order to present us before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. And this is alluding to the same presentation. When we stand before the Lord, we stand before him Complete. Complete. And when I stand before him, complete. That sounds like a song, doesn't it, right? We stand before him. You see, the goal of true ministry is our maturity, our Christ-likeness. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8, 29. We know from Ephesians 4, I read it earlier, that the goal is uh, maturity in Christ. To the, to, the, to, the, to the unity of the faith and maturity, right? We see that. We know the goal is that uh, here, that we represent every man complete in Christ. And if that's not your goal in ministry, then something is very wrong. If that's not your goal as a pastor or teacher, that's something very, very wrong. You have the wrong goals. You have the wrong goals. So let me ask you this. Are you on the right page? This effectively cuts through the ministry muck and gives us a look at true ministry. The church or ministry does not have its primary focus, teaching the word of God for the purpose of maturing the saints. It's not biblical. Now, again, there are all kinds of things that go with that. There are different elements of the body and different giftings that support that and work with that in the context of love in the body of Christ. But the primary goal of that ministry is to present as complete. And then notice, lastly, we see the means. Hard work. 
by his strength. Some of us feel go, hard work, oh boy. <laughs> hard work by his strength. Verse 29, and for this purpose. What purpose? The purpose of presenting them complete in Christ, right? For this purpose, also I labor, Paul says, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. This is what I do. This is how I do it. Paul labors and strives with the grand goal of presenting every man completed Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal, that you would be built up, that you'd be more like Jesus, that the word would do its work in you as, you're, as Christ is exalted in your heart. That's the goal. And so here he says that this, for, this, for this purpose I labor. The term labor speaks of becoming physically weary and tired. It speaks of strong exertions, working hard, striving, struggling. It speaks of emotional exhaustion. Don't let anyone deceive you. True ministry is exhausting work, yet it's rewarding, eternally rewarding. But it involves labor, involves labor. And I find, sadly, uh, rarely Christians expend themselves on a regular basis. There's even this view out in the Christian culture that you shouldn't get burned out. Well, the reality is there are those in Scripture, uh, Epaphroditus, Philippians 2, Paul praised him because he worked hard. He almost died working hard for the Lord. We see in Romans chapter 16, in Romans chapter 16, that Paul praises them for working hard. (laughs) He says, my fellow workers in Christ who risk their own necks, to whom not only I give thanks. He says, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Worked hard. Mary worked hard. So then we see there is toil. And sometimes that toil and labor is to exhaustion. We know in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. Verse 9, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. If you are preaching and teaching, you better do your study. You better do your work in the Word. You better labor in the Word of God. And everything else, there's labor, but it's good labor. It's toil in all the support for this and all the different giftings that work together in concert. In concert. And notice, he says, it's even agonizing labor. He says, I first this purpose, I labor striving. That term comes from the Greek word agonizai. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Agony, right? One uh, pastor writes, You can be a lazy Christian and a lazy pastor and a lazy missionary, a lazy Sunday school teacher, a lazy helper, but you'll never fulfill the Word of God in your life. It says, To fulfill the Word of God in your life takes maximum effort your entire life, and I believe it will see in the context of abiding in Christ by His grace. By His grace. And notice that's what he says here. Striving according to his power. It's not according to your power. He's not saying go run out and labor yourself to death for Christ. You do it in accordance of how he's led you and how he leads you by his strength. By his strength. He says, which mightily works within me. For this purpose I labor, striving. Now, does that mean that if your pastor isn't always exhausted, he's sitting (laughs) <laughs> Remember what uh, the Lord told his um, apostles. Uh, Mark 6.30, And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. That's when he sent them out. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest for a while. Rest. Time to rest. Come away, guys. Be ministering. Rest. But we labor. But we labor. And we do it by his strength, according to his power, which mightily works within me. You know, Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, not that we are adequate to consider anything that's coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And then we know that uh, uh, John 15, that apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. We trust him and we rely on him, yet we exert energy. Have this, this ironic thing, we have a real relationship and we're actually doing stuff and we're getting tired but yet Jesus is doing it through us because we have a real relationship with him according to his power. And then he says, which mightily works within me. Christ in me, right? The hope of glory. 
So then, this is how we're to minister, by his power, by his strength. And it takes exhausting toil and order to toil for the kingdom. We know from 1 Corinthians 15 that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. That day will come when we will say sin has no sting, death has no sting, right? We'll be praising him for what he's done. We know our toil has is not in vain. So what a picture of true ministry. What a picture. There's no excuse for this church not to minister rightly. We know the word of God. We have it here. We need to follow his word. We need to obey it together on the same sheet of music, on the same page, understanding what his will is for how we function. And we'll get into the different giftings later on, but how we function together to bring about the goal of us being presented uh, complete in Christ. So I began um, talking about the modern evangelical mindset, different types of churches. Well, we've seen there's one type of church, the one that obeys the Lord and proclaims Christ and admonishes and teaches every man to present them completing Christ. You see, we've got flesh-driven humanistic ministry all around, and we're going to be warned. Chapter 2, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, through empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Don't get taken captive. we got the Word of God. Now, you know what I should be doing, and you know how to support me, you know how to pray for me, you know how we, what you should be hearing for a church. You know what you should be taught and admonish the Word of God, right? And we should work together and labor and strive for this purpose. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for your word that you have revealed clearly what your will is, that Christ, your Son, is proclaimed, uh, admonishing and teaching every man that we may present every man complete in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, may we be about the right goals here. May we be about uh, this body becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day and allowing you to function through us uh, in our lives and abiding in your son Jesus and he in us. Lord, I pray for uh, anyone who will listen or listening or if they're in a church that isn't like this, that they would uh, make the decision to do what is right and get in a biblical church, Lord God, and participate and serve together for this ultimate goal of being made like your son Jesus. And Lord, I pray for us here as we learn the differing giftings that we have and how we'll do this together, Lord God, uh, that we would continue to love one another and that this love would be manifest and people would see it and you'd be glorified. So we thank you for this uh, morning. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.